Amen. Amen. You know, there are a lot of reasons why we celebrate moms. And, and one of the primary reasons is, like I said, is because God has designed moms to kind of reveal his heart. And for our, from where I stand, moms have done a pretty good job at that. I mean, when you consider their compassion, when, when you consider their, their sacrifice, when you consider their unconditional love, when you consider that, you know, we sang that song, Oh, how he loves it, he's jealous for me. You mess with the mom's kid, you're, it's on, right? It's on like Donkey Kong, right? I mean, it's going to get bad, right? When we consider, you know, the, the way they believe in us, we don't believe in ourselves, the way they pick us up when we fall, the way they forgive us when, they, when we fail, they really do reveal God's heart, you know? And, and you know, this is the first Mother's Day. You know, my mom's celebrating with Jesus today, you know, and, and, and I watched that video, right? You know, I was thinking of my mom, right? You know, and, and, and every mom, you know, in this room is just passionately in love with their kids, you know, it's, it's done amazing things. Moms are awesome. Dads, we could never be a mom, right? It, it'd be over. One of us had a kid, that'd be over, right? You, that, you went through that? No way. I'm not going to do this, right? It'd be done, right? It'd been over centuries ago. And, and, and what I, I like for us to do right now, for every, every mom, stepmom, adopted mom, expected mom, if they would just stand right now, every mom stand up on your feet. And... If us sitting down would just kind of cheer them right now and clap. Okay. Woo! Keep standing, moms. Keep, keep standing. Keep standing. And, 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 and now if, if everybody would stand and kind of surround those moms and there's a mom near you, if you would put your hand on those moms. And, and I'd just like us to just take a moment to, you know, uh, to, to pray. To pray for these moms. Heavenly Father, God, we, we love you and we need you. And, and God, you have given all of us a gift, Lord, called our moms. And, and God, you have chosen women, ladies, Lord, to be the ones who have life growing inside of them, Lord. And God, I pray that you'll be with every mom right at this moment, God, that they would feel your pleasure God, that you would renew, that you would refresh, that you would refocus them. God, that you would block all the lies of the enemy who is constantly beating them up and telling them where they're failing. God, may they hear by your spirit all the ways they have succeeded and done well. And God, I, I pray that you would just uh, reignite their passion, God, to be the, the moms that you want them to be, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in every mom right now, God, and God, we thank you for these ladies. We thank you for what they do. God, we thank you for what they're going to do. And God, may they, again, just feel your pleasure and your encouragement today. In Jesus' name, amen. And y'all can be seated. All right. And then now a few weeks back, um, we began a message series on the letter of 1 Peter called Living Hope, a sure anchor in, in troubled times. And, and this letter is from Peter, you know, the walking on water fisherman who had the opportunity to hang out with Jesus, God the Son, when he wore flesh for three years and walked this planet. Now, this letter's from Peter, the guy, again, who had a ringside seat to everything that Jesus did. I mean, he was there. He saw with his own eyes when, when, when Jesus walked in water, when Jesus turned water into wine, uh, when Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, when, when Jesus raised people from the dead. He, G, Peter saw that. 
And, and, and this letter from Peter, he, Peter's a guy who had a knowledge about, he had a relationship with, and he had access to Jesus that is unequaled in human history. And this letter is from Peter to, to God's people, to people like you and I, people who, who found themselves in the midst of a very difficult and troubling time, and they were trying hard to hang on to a hope that was quickly fading away under the weight of their present circumstances. Has that ever happened to you? Where your present circumstances, all the water that's washing into your boat is causing your hope to slip away? Uh, this letter from Peter to the people who needed to be reminded that because of God's great mercy, because God the Father chose them, because God the Son died for them, because God the Spirit lives in them, that they have been born again into a new birth and into a living hope. And now they can live with great expectation. I understand, as a Jesus follower, and I'm so not making any of this up, it's all true. As a Jesus follower, we can expect some pretty amazing things. Uh, we can expect an inheritance in, in heaven that, that can never perish, spoil, or fade away. If you are a Jesus follower, you know, uh, there's an inheritance in heaven. There's a bank account in heaven. There's a 401k in heaven that has your name on it. If you're a Jesus follower, you, you can expect to have God's power protect and shield you. And that's crazy. Uh, what is shielding you and I as Jesus followers is the power of the God who who created this world, this universe with the word, and who literally breathes out stars. God's power is protecting us. And, and, and because God's power is protecting us, you know, th this phrase really hit me last week. You know, as I was, I was saying, okay, how come these Christians are getting beat up, but yet God's power is protecting them, but it doesn't make sense. And, and God gave me this little phrase, you know, ultimately nothing can hurt us because nothing can hurt us ultimately, Right? There's nothing that can happen to me that changes where I'm going to be 17.7 trillion years from now, right? I'm going to be in heaven rocking it out with my God and my king. So nothing can hurt me ultimately. We, we can expect that troubles can strengthen our faith. We don't just have to go through hard times, but we can grow through hard times. We can expect to receive the salvation of our souls. And remember, salvation is everything that Jesus has done, is doing Salvation is everything that God has done, is doing, and will do for us in Christ Jesus. He has forgiven our sins. He, he is working in us right now to make us more and more like Jesus. And one day, he will finish that work and make us just like Jesus, and then we'll see him as he is. And, and it, it was early last Sunday morning at, at 5.38 a.m. as I was looking at that last part, how we're receiving the salvation of our souls, that, that I heard God, now God's not speaking to me audibly. Uh, I'm kind of weird and odd, but not quite that weird and odd yet. Um, I do talk to myself. I do answer myself. I do answer my own emails at times. I, I always like my Facebook post. The minute I post it, I like it. I've only been beat one time. I mean, if I, I'm the first one to like it, you know, and I'll comment on my own post, you know. Yeah, I'm excited to be here too, Steve, you know, so, you know. <laughs> But, but God yet hasn't talked to me audibly. That'd be cool if he did, but I'd probably freak out. Uh, but, but, uh, but I heard God say, you know, hey, Steve, I really need you to talk about salvation some more next week. Uh, because my people, including you, do not fully appreciate and are constantly underestimating the power of my amazing grace and the magnitude of the salvation that is theirs because of my son. 
And I was like, but God, you know next Sunday is Mother's Day, and I'm already planning on talking about Hannah. And God was like, yeah, I know it's Mother's Day. And I also know that there's nothing a mother wants, especially every mom who will be in this room today wants, than for our children to be right with God. In fact, that is the passion that drove every mom from Eve to Hannah to Mary it was for their children to, to be right with God. And, and, and so I determined the day, I, 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 my, my intent and purpose today was twofold. One, to take some time to, to honor moms because moms are awesome. They're amazing. Uh, they are incredible. And, and so we, I wanted to acknowledge moms and encourage moms and, and to pray over moms. And, and, and then, you know, my, my, now on to my second goal is, is I, I want to talk about this salvation that we have. A salvation that every mom wants for our children, for her children. Um, let, let's pray with palms open um, as we jump into this. And we do this as symbolic. We're ready to receive from God open hands. God, we love you. And God, you love us more. You love us most. And, and God, I, I pray you just help us. Um, God, forgive us. Forgive me for not understanding how incredible your grace is, how powerful it is. And, and not understanding the salvation that I have is just meant to fill me with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And, and God, I pray that as I speak, I hear these words and, and that, that my life is just infused with joy and hope because of what I have, because of what your son did for me. And God, I pray for those who know you, God, that they will be excited about what they have in you. And those who don't will be compelled to surrender to you. May your word and truth come with power far beyond any words I could ever speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Peter writes, beginning in verse 8 of the first chapter, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, and especially in your circumstances, first century Christians, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Okay, why are they filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy? For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he goes on. Concerning this salvation that you have, the prophets, Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the rest, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them, to these prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you, to us, serving us, when they spoke of the things that now have been told you by those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. And I really like how the Message Bible words the end of verse 12. Do you realize how fortunate you are? Angels would have given anything to be in on this. Here, here, here's what I'm just convinced of, at least for me, and maybe for you guys as well, you know, that, that, that we so underestimate the power of God's amazing grace and the magnitude of the salvation that is ours. And what Peter is saying, hey, do you realize, he says, do you, he says angels, these guys who are there at the beginning of the time, these guys who hang out with God the Father, God in the Spirit, uh, these angels who, who, who are living in the place. John writes about in Revelation, these angels are like, I wish I could experience what John and Julie and Dan and Pam get to experience every day. 
And, and, and Peter said, and not only the angels are fired up about it, but, you know, Isaiah and David and Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, all the Old Testament prophets, they're like, man, we're writing about this stuff. We're writing about how the Messiah would suffer and the glories that would follow and about this thing called God's kingdom and all this stuff about unto you us a child is born. He shall be called wonderful. They're writing all this stuff. They go, but I don't really understand what it really means. And, and, and so many times you and I, we envy them, and I wish, you know, I, I, we envy, we picture ourselves being David walking into the valley, or, or Moses stretching out his hand and watching the sea part, or Daniel going in and coming out of that lion's den, and, you know, but this is, I'm not even making, I'm so not making this up. They envy us. David is like, I wish I could be them. I wish I could be Bart, and Todd, and Sonia, and Alan. I, I, I wish I could experience what they're experiencing. Yeah, and they wrote about it, but they didn't fully understand it because they never experienced it firsthand. And there's a big difference between hearing about something and experiencing something firsthand. And, 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 and the analogy I use, the picture I use of this is of one of my favorite places in our country. It's called the PCH, right? The Pacific Coast Highway. That is like, oh, my goodness. It's incredible. And, and, and I heard about it for years, you know, seen it on movies. But it wasn't until I f- flew across the country into L.A. and rented a convertible Sebring and put the top down and, and, and drove from L.A. to San Francisco listening to Switchfoot, you know, for about 10 hours that, and taking in these sights. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, literally, there's times we pull over. I grab a chair. I bought a, a cheap $10 chair, you know, and... and, and We'd walk down somewhere, and I'd just sit on the beach there and just look for like half hour, just blown away, listen to music. said, this is unbelievable. And, and so what, what I want to do kind of metaphorically, because, you know, sometimes, here, here's the deal. You know, sometimes you have to see something through fresh eyes, right? You know, like, like maybe you're not into Disney, and it's, kind of, you know, it's a small world. It's gotten kind of old to you, and, you know, you know and... and Cinderella's castle is a drag, and, but you take a, a little kid to it, and all of a sudden, you're like, hey, this is pretty cool, because you're seeing it through their eyes. And, and, and I want us to try to see our salvation through the eyes of those who wrote about it, but never got to experience it. So what we're going to do, we're going to, um, you know, we've already flown across, you know, we're in, we're in L.A., and, you know, we have our car. It's a very long car, right? And, and we got the top down, and in the back is, you know, knock it off, guys, okay? It's, you know, they're, they're fussing and fighting, right? deciding where to eat, right? You know, that never happens on road trips. And, and, but, you know, Jeremiah's in there, Daniel's in there, Ezekiel, and, and we're, taking, we're saying, guys, here's what you guys wrote about. And, and we want to point out some of the scenery to you. You know, and, and if you're a Jesus follower, I, you, know, you know, put on your little imagination cap or whatever, you know, but see it through their eyes. They'd be, they're blown away, just like I was blown away, but, but to the nth power. Okay, and so I, I want to fire up every Jesus follower, beginning with myself, you know, so that we can begin. Hey, I'm feeling a little bit of that inexpressible and glorious joy. And if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, I, I want to encourage you that hey, you know, maybe you should buy a ticket, fly across this, the states, rent a car, and take your own drive up, not the PCH, but you know, I know it's corny, but I'll do it anyhow. You know, the AGH, right? The Amazing Grace Highway. And so we're in the car, we're driving up, listening to the tunes. Switch foot, dare you to move or something, whatever. And, 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 and I say, yo, yo, David, Jeremiah, shh, check that out. Forgiveness of all sins, once and for all. I understand the prophets of old, they knew all about sin. 
and all about wanting to get rid of that sin so they could be back close to God again. I mean, they've been dealing with sin ever since Genesis 3 in the Bible. And listen, every time they sinned, they were required to bring a sacrifice to the temple. And year after year after year, month after month, day after day, they brought these sacrifices. But understand, those sacrifices never allowed them to experience what we experience every day as a Jesus follower, the forgiveness of all sin once and for all time. Check out how the Hebrew writer in Hebrews chapter 10 explains it. Uh, The old system, uh, under the law of Moses, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come and not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshiper would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sin year after year, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. Uh, Understand, all those sacrifices that Jeremiah and David and Daniel and the rest brought, those sacrifices were never able to provide perfect cleansing. Why? Because it's not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. So, so then w- w- what about the guilt? Well, the guilt never disappeared. Well, what about the sin? Offering the same sacrifice again and again can never take away sins. Uh, but listen, 2,000 years ago, the grace that these guys wrote about in the back of our car put on flesh and in so doing changed everything. And because of Jesus... The guilt remaining, imperfect cleansing, sin not taking away is no longer the reality for God's people, which is exactly what the Hebrew writer said as he continued right in Hebrews chapter 10. You know, you know it can never take away sins. Bloods and bulls and goats can never take away sin, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice, Hebrews 10, 11 through 14, but our high priest Jesus offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down. Why? Because his job was done. In the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Now understand the reality that you and I as Jesus followers live in every day. The forgiveness of all of our sins once and for all would absolutely blow the minds of Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, and the rest. I mean, the sheer beauty of it would take their breath away. And verses like Paul wrote in Colossians 2, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, not a good place to be, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. 
And verses like Paul wrote in Romans 8, 1, that's for me. This verse is for me. It's for you if you're a Jesus follower. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, those verses would, 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 would make these Old Testament prophets, it would make them want to dance. It would fill them with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And they'd be like, oh, whoa, 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 let me get this straight. All my sins are forgiven? Yeah, every single, yeah, that one too. Once and for all? Yeah, once and for all. It's done. No more bringing sacrifice year after year, sin after sin. No more. Jesus' sacrifice is enough. His payment is enough. It is finished. You know, you know I, I think Peter's right. We don't, we don't realize how fortunate we are to live in God's amazing grace. We have forgiveness of all our sins once and for all. He paid the debt, not us. Let that sink in. As we continue to drive, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, check this out. You're going to love this one. Freedom from do to be. I understand all Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the rest knew. All they knew was the law, was the old covenant, and trying to keep rules. And there were a lot of rules. I mean, beside the Big Ten, there were 603 other rules they had to keep. That's 613 rules. And under the system of rules, the practice of faith was a burden. Now, now, now we may think today, right, well, it's a burden to get up early on a Sunday morning to come to church. It's kind of a burden to, burden to have to express our, our faith through prayer and reading God's Word. Uh, but listen, the practice of faith uh, that the Old Testament uh, prophets were under, that was a real burden. And let me give you an example. I mean, imagine having to do this, and God's people did for 1,400-plus years. You know, I mean, it's all they ever knew until God's amazing grace put on flesh and hit the streets. So as I read this passage in Leviticus, imagine having to do this every time you sin. Anybody sin this week? How many times? You better buy you some goats and sheep, let me tell you. If a member of the community sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, he is guilty. When he's made aware of the sin, he's He's committed. He must bring as an offering for the sin he committed, a female goat without defect. He's to lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it at the place of the burnt offering. Can you imagine doing it every time you sin? I mean, yeah, there was a very long line every day, all day, at the altar. Again, under the system of rules, the practice of faith was a burden. And it was even worse. You know what was worse about it? It didn't work. <laughs> Romans 3.20 puts it this way. Calm down, Jeremiah. Uh, for no one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what his law commands. For the more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it. So you see, so you see that under the system of rules... Not, not only was the practice of faith of a, a burden, but no matter what you did, no matter how hard you tried, you would never measure up. You always fell short. You were never good enough. In fact, living under the law, under the system of rules, could be summed up by these three words, you know, do to be. Under system of rules, you had to do in order to be. 
But the problem was you can never do enough to measure up to be right in God's eyes. Therefore, living under rules, it was full of pressure. Pressure to perform, to earn, to do, to be good enough. All the while knowing that you weren't good enough and you never would be good enough. Maple Grove, after knowing only the pressure of rules and measuring up all of their lives, the Old Testament prophets would have been completely, completely blown away by the incredible coastline of God's amazing grace and the freedom from do to be. And, and verses that, that we take for granted, oh yeah, I memorized that in VBS in, in 2004. Would have been like, they'd be like, are you kidding me? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves. You didn't do anything. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And verses like Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, they're like, they're like, no, 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 this can't be true. God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become, what does it say? The righteousness of God. And, and, and they're, like, they're like jumping out of their seats. Buckle back up, guys. And in Colossians chapter 1, you were once far away from God. You were his enemy, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he's reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in a physical body. As a result, he, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. I understand verses like that would cause the Old Testament prophets to jump out of the car and to dance along the Amazing Grace Highway. No, I don't, you don't, we don't realize how fortunate we are to pitch our tents on the coastline of God's amazing grace. No more trying to measure up. No more doing to be. Uh, no more constantly falling short. Uh, uh, no more never being good enough. No more banging our heads against the wall trying to figure out what we're doing wrong and what we need to do right in order to win God's favor because we already have God's favor. The verdict is already in. If you're in Christ, you are forgiven now. You are free now. You are his child now. You are righteous in his eyes now. See, see we, we live under a new and better covenant, and, and, and under grace, this is, you know, uh, under grace, we don't live for our salvation, you know? We don't live for our salvation. We live from our salvation. Big difference. We live from who we are, not trying to do something to become somebody. See, we're already right in God's eyes, and we live from that. And the pressure to perform, it's off. I mean, imagine if you were, you know, in the Olympics, and you know, you're a skater or a snowboard or whatever, or you're a, you know, a curler, <laughs> you know, you're, and they tell you, hey, this is your last run, and you've already won the gold. I mean, you could fall flat on your face, you know, and you've already won the gold. How would you perform? Totally free, right? You know, and, and see, we live from our salvation. We live from who we are. And these guys would be like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No more measuring up. No more rules. I'm saved by grace. And as we keep going up the coastline, you, you point out something else to these guys. You know, 
Guys, check this out, guys. God lives in us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. It was given to you by God. I understand, approaching God in the days of the Old Testament prophets was not something God's people did. There there seemed to be a separation between God's presence and God's people. Two quick examples. One would be, remember when when Moses, you know, he's going up to to Mount Sinai, he's going to bring the Ten Commandments, and God shows up and and, and smoke, and there's fire, and there's a trumpet blast, and, and, and what did God tell Moses to tell the people? Do not touch the mountain that I'm on, or you will, you'll die. So Moses put up barriers. God's presence, God's people, separation. And then, you know, where was the one place, you know, in all of Israel where God's presence dwelt? It was in the holy of holies, the, the most holy place. And in and, and, and this one room, you know, 30 by 30 by 30 cube overlaid with gold where the Ark of the Covenant was, God's presence dwelt there, and only one guy could go in there, and he only one time, Right? One time, one day a year, he could go in there, the Day of Atonement. No one else could go in there. And then from there, it was like barrier against barrier. You had, uh, you, you had the, uh, then you had the holy place where they offered incense and prayer, and, and only the priest on duty could go in there. Then you had like the court where Israel men could go this close, and behind them, Israel women, behind them, Gentile. And it just seemed to be the separation between, between God and his people. And that is why when you point out to them, hey, God lives in you would blow them away. And they're like, oh, whoa, whoa. Am I hearing you right? You're telling me that this presence, God whose presence I could never even get close to, that he actually lives in me? You're telling me that I, I am the temple? You know, I've always loved singing Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place? Are you telling me that, that I am? That dwelling place, that God lives in me? Are you kidding me? Are you telling me the same power that conquered the grave lives in us? Amazing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And they're just driving along. You got your music playing, and they're just like taking it all in. Of all these amazing things that dot the landscape of being in God's grace, Forgiveness from all sin. Yeah, that one too, once and for all. Freedom from do to be. We live from our salvation, not for our salvation. God living in us. And then, then you point out something else. And when, you, uh, and when you point this one out, they totally start freaking out. And, you know, adoption into God's family. And they seem to be more excited than they've ever been so far in this journey up the road. Romans 8.15 says this. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him the God of all creation, Abba, Father, Dad, Daddy. Galatians 4, 5, God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. In John 1, verse 3, John, John, 1 John 3, verse 1, I love this. How great 
is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation point. He's kind of excited. And in case you missed it, he goes, and that's what we are. He said, I know you're having a hard time believing it, but that's who you are. You're a child of God. And I'm convinced at this point they say, pull the car over. I'm sitting in that chair you bought, and I'm going to take this in for a while. I mean, okay, okay l- l- let me get this straight. Yeah, yeah. okay, Jeremiah, what, what? Okay, God not only allows me in his presence, he's not only willing to live in me. Are you telling me that he's willing to adopt me into his own family and to call me his son, to call me his daughter? Are you kidding me? God sent him to buy freedom from those who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Now, now I understand a lot about adoption. Twice, you know, I I flew to the other side of the world with Laurie, um, you know, to adopt May Lee into her family on July 18th, 2005. That's what she looked like the day we saw her first time in person. And and here's what, here's a picture recently. This picture scares me (laughs) because she was going after mom to shop for clothes, man. It's just, it's terrible. She likes clothes and, and, and. And then in January of 2008, we adopted Gentile, and that's one of Gentile's early pictures we saw of him. And here's Gentile, you know, today, you know, celebrating a good victory in a baseball game. And here's a picture of them together. We took May leave and went to get Gentile. That's them under, in some cabinet somewhere doing something, you know, at our hotel room in China. They've known each other for about six hours, but were immediately bonded. And, and, and though they are adopted... They're not of my flesh and blood. You know, they are 100% my kids. I I could not imagine life or a family without them. You see, adoption, it's a huge thing, and it it involves tremendous cost and great love and and a powerful choice. Amen? I I know these people, they're agreeing with me right there. You know, and and think about it. You know, God didn't just fly across the country. He left heaven, right? You know, and he put on flesh, and, and, and he paid a tremendous cost, the death of his son, in order for you and I to be adopted into his family. And listen, there's something that would make adoption into God's family an almost unbelievable concept for the Old Testament prophets who lived in the Middle East, which is a shame-based society. See, in the Middle East, cult, family's important, but something is more important than family. It is the honor of family, and, and that is why the worst thing anyone can do is to bring shame and dishonor to their family. One of my favorite cartoons is Mulan. I love Mulan, right? You know, and, and, and when they come to get her dad, right, put him in the army, he's too old, she jumped, don't take my dad, take me, take someone else. You, you brought shame to me. You dishonored me, and you've dishonored our family. It, 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 it's a Middle East custom or culture. It's part of who they are, and there was an extreme example of this several years back in Phoenix, Arizona. An eight-year-old girl from Liberia um, was lured into a shed by four boys aged 9 to 12 with the promise of candy. And, and once they got the little girl inside the shed, they took turns abusing her for hours. And, and, and um, neighbors heard the screams. The police came. And when they arrived, you know, the boys took off. And, 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 and when the, the father, you know, the girl's nightmare hadn't been bad enough when the father was there and the police were there and the caseworker was there. He looked at them, the father looked at them and said, take her. I don't want her anymore. Because in the father's eyes, she had brought shame and dishonor to her family. And I know that makes no sense to us. However, that was and is pretty much some of the mindset of much of the Middle East. And that's why 
get this. Oh, that, that's why the, the concept of a holy and righteous God adopting them sinners into his family would completely blow them away. I mean, I can hear Jeremiah saying from the back seat, uh, uh, hold on. I mean, you're telling me that this holy God that I saw in the temple, uh, this holy God that when I saw him, I cried out that I am ruined from a, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and I've seen the holy God, the king of the world, are you telling me that, that this God who even right now is surrounded by angels who are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. You're telling me that, that this holy, righteous, perfect God not only, not only forgives me, uh, not only frees me, not only wants to live in me, but has adopted me, a sinner, into his own family. And he's not in any way dishonored by who I am. Again, please don't minimize this. God not only allows us into his presence, he's not only willing to live in us, but he is willing to adopt us into his own family. He's not ashamed of us. We don't have a room somewhere in the basement corner that he doesn't tell anybody about, right? I mean, our picture's right there in the refrigerator with everybody else, right next to Jesus' picture calling us his sons and his daughters. Are you kidding me? And maybe now you can understand you know, the passion John had. You know, when John said in 1 John, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, exclamation point, and that is what we are. You know, I mean, we're messed up, we're sinners, we're dirty, we fail, we fall, we have shame. And, and, and God says, I want that, I choose that. I want you. that's who you are. And John's like, I get they, they so hard for them to understand. At this point, they're like, okay, Steve, we got it. I, I had enough. <laughs> This is too much awesome sauce being poured all over me right now. You know, <laughs> you know I, I, I can't take anything more. Let's, you go, okay, just guys, just one more thing. One more thing, guys, and just promise, one more. I'll show it to you. We'll pull off, get a room, right? You know, you can hit the hot tub. You know, we can sleep in. We'll get a late checkout, okay? Just one more thing before we go, before we pull over. And you say, because of the grace that was to come is not here, you say, hey, look at the life that we can now live. But during the night, angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go sit in the temples, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Paul said in Colossians 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ in us is the hope of us becoming like him. And then Peter said this, crazy words. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And understand, this, this, is, this is like really huge. Understand, the life that they could never live, the life that that Jeremiah, that Isaiah, that Daniel, these guys we admire, could never live by trying harder and following the rules better is now possible because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection 
and the Spirit's presence within us. I'm going to read that again. The life that they never could live. They never could live this life because they did not have this power that we have. That they could never live by trying harder and following the rules better is now possible because of Jesus' death, because of his burial, and his resurrection, and because God's Spirit lives within us. Understand, if you are a Jesus follower, you can live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, the fruits of the Spirit. Which, by the way, if you got to see the play this week, that was the theme, right? And give it up real quick for that. that was that awesome? What a... But, it, see... That doesn't have to be something you just live out on the stage here, right? Uh, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and God's spirit in us, we can live that out. Love, joy, peace, patience, and the rest out in the stage of life every day in our homes where we work. Because his divine power has given us everything we need, we can live a life where we overcome our anger, control our tongue, where we turn the other cheek where we flee from lust, where we always speak the truth because his divine power is giving us everything we need. We can live a life where we forgive those who hurt us, where we pray for those who persecute us, where we treat others the way that we want them to treat us because his divine power has given us everything we need to live the life he wants us to. We really can live a life where we, we, we worry about nothing, where we pray about everything, where we store up treasures in heaven, where we overcome everything that stands against us, where we have a peace that passes understanding, where we, where we see hardship as a path to real joy. Because his divine power, we have it, they didn't. His divine power gives us everything that we need. We can live a life that is not about us, but instead is about helping, serving, reaching out, and living for the good of others and the glory of God. Be because of what Jesus did and his spirit is in us, uh, we can do something they never could do. We actually can live the life we've always wanted to live. We can live a life that begins to look more and more and more and more like Jesus. A purposeful, exciting, selfless, fulfilling, free, abundant, overflowing life of adventure with and for the King of glory. I made nothing up this morning. I, I probably undersold it. If we could see it through their eyes, right? I mean, they, they'd be slapping me. Jeremiah, go, Jeremiah, go, are you kidding me, Steve? Are you kidding me? You're not excited about what you got? You, you think just slaying a giant was cool? You, you can slay all these things in your life and look more like God every day. He says, that's a whole lot cooler. It, it just takes our breath away. The grace in which we now can stand. And we've only scratched the surface. We could talk all day about it, but we're going to move on next week to the next part in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 3. And, and uh, but here's how I, I kind of I want to wrap it up, you know. And again, my goal was if you're a Jesus follower, that I mean, Paul said, right? Inexpressible and glorious joy. And I put on my Facebook, you know, what are, what are a couple things that excite you about your salvation? And, and here's some of the things that, that people put on my Facebook wall. Obviously, I was one of the first to answer, okay? I got to make sure I got one answer, right? 
I, I mean, not right, right, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. That, that sounded wrong, didn't it? I didn't mean right, right. I mean right, like right. Like, you know what I'm saying? We good? All right. Okay. Uh, what excites me about my salvation? What excites you about your salvation? Number one, you know, that my salvation is not about me trying to measure up. It's a free gift, grace. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Uh, someone else wrote uh, that it will only get better and better and better from here and that this increasing betterness will go on forever, okay? Uh, someone else wrote, um, knowing it's a gift and that nothing I can do can ever change his love for me. What excites you about your salvation? Someone wrote uh, that all the stuff that I did as a teenager is gone and God has restored me to how he created me before I messed it all up. Uh, what excites you about your salvation? Someone wrote uh, that I have somewhere to, good to go after this world and that death is nothing. Someone else wrote that what excites me is, is that grace is greater than the weight of my sin. Someone else wrote that, that what excites me about my salvation is the freedom that I have. It's the new identity that I have in Christ. Some, someone wrote that what excites me is that I have have nothing to fear, uh, for he has my life in his perfect hands. Someone else wrote that, what excites me about my salvation is that I don't have to do life alone and that hell has no ownership of me, praise God. And, and, and someone else wrote, uh, what excites me about my salvation is that it's not, it's not out there waiting for me, it's here, it's now. That it's not out there waiting for me, that it's here and it's now. We're going we're gonna to sing a song. You know, and, and if, you're a, if you're a Jesus follower, man, just allow God's spirit to move in you. And what you have is so stinking incredible. I'm going to pray the Holy Spirit just, just lights you up like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? All my sin, it's gone. I don't have to measure up because Christ measured up for me. God lives in me. God, God wants me messed up as I am and as messed up as you are, and you're messed up, all right? I'm going to stick to it because that makes me feel better about me, right? We're messed up people. There's not a person in this room, there's not a person in this world that God does not want in his family, that God does not want to be his son and his daughters, and that the life that we can't do on our own power, we can do through his power because of the grace in which we stand. And so we're going to sing the song. And, and, and if you're here today and, and you, know, you, don't, you and God, you're not sure where you are, I'll be up here and leaders will be up here. You know, and maybe it's the, day, it's the day you surrender to him. Maybe you believe in who he is, believe in he did. And maybe it's the day you say, you know what, I'm going to repent of living for myself, doing things my own way because I just mess it up. And, and, and maybe it's the day you say, you know what, and, and, and today's the day that I'm going to surrender to Christ like his word tells me to do. And I'm going to be baptized into the name of Jesus. And I'm going to be buried with Christ so that I can rise again to live a new life. Maybe that's the day that you do that. Or maybe you want to talk about that some more. But we're going to sing this awesome, incredible song called This Grace in Which I Stand. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys to sit. I'm going to pray and we're going to worship God like a bunch of saved people. Father God, we love you, and, and God, forgive me, and, and forgive us, and especially me, God, for, Lord, you just given me the most incredible thing in the world, and thank you for you know, helping me, maybe in a, in a small way, to see it through the eyes of Jeremiah, and Daniel, and Isaiah, who are just totally freaking out and blown away what I have every day, the way I get to live, the things I get to experience. And God, we praise you and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.